Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast for a very special live damage control episode. And if you were wondering why I'm calling it a damage control episode, it's a it's a little bit of an inside joke. Um, I had planned a damage control episode, not because um, damage was done. And all I'm trying and I'm sorry about that. I forgot to turn my volume down so I can watch a live chat. But uh, I, uh, it's not I'm um, not responding to a damage that I was not expecting. Um, I knew that this particular podcast would get some people riled up and get a lot of questions. And um, and so where I kind of got the whole damage control thing from often in YouTube world and it pours over into church world whenever, um, you know, whenever things. So, like, for example, a few years ago, I did a podcast uh, with Scott Clement Matt first on Daniel's 70th week. And it stirred a lot of stuff up. And one church had to do have damage control sermons, as we called them. I mean, that very Sunday, preaching two sermons about Daniel's 70th week to do damage control, basically. So that kind of became a thing. And so we joke about damage control sermons that people preach. And so I decided to call this a damage control podcast. Uh, because if you saw the interview I did with Don Preston. Um, you probably had your mind blown a little bit. And a lot of people are not familiar with full preterism, the arguments of full preterism. And so it's, I think a lot of my audience, they're used to hearing me debunk like the dispensational, the pre-tribulation crowd. That's kind of what you're used to responding to. But this, you know, requires a different response, something that a lot of people are not familiar with. And typically when people get blindsided with something they're not ready for, they just lash out. And there's, there's been some of that going on and, and bless your hearts. Uh, you know, we've all done that before. We've all been there. Let's try not to do that kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, I did, um, fully intend. I planned, um, I mentioned it on the program too. I told Don Preston, I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to have you on the program. Uh, I want to make sure I'm understanding your position correctly. And then I will ask you questions just to find out kind of what I'm wanting to know. And I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to push back, but I will do a response to it later. And that is what I'm doing. And I fully intend to accurately represent him. And, um, and if he feels like he needs to clear something up uh, after hearing what I have to say, if he chooses to listen, I have given him the okay to do that as well. I like to handle doctrinal disputes in ways that you never see people handle them because uh, frankly, I'm repulsed by the way most people um, are when it comes to opposition and the way they misrepresent. They're very willing to just cream people, name people, all that kind of stuff, but they're not willing to talk, have a discussion, uh, ask clarifying questions. It's just, you know, I've got my position and I'm going to protect it and I'm going to attack anything that comes against it. And, you know, even if I don't even understand the position and I just think that is unprofitable, I think that's foolish and I'm just not interested in that. And if you think um, I'm platforming heretics and stuff like that, you know, that's fine. Uh, this is a YouTube channel. This is not a church. This is a podcast. Uh, I have conversations on here. I'm not just preaching and I do these things for a reason. I personally want to be challenged in the area of eschatology. 
I have things I'm very sure of. I have things I'm not so sure of. I have some things where I'm still trying to learn and I don't mind having my position, my position challenged. And um, I, I knew talking to someone like Don Preston would present challenges. And again, you don't like that, um, then just, you know, go find an echo chamber channel where they're always just going to say what you want to hear and, and cancel everybody else. But that is not what this program is. And y'all don't have to like that, but that's what we do here. So I enjoyed the conversation. I learned some things from talking to him. Obviously I did not agree with very much that I heard. And I want to talk about some of those things uh, today. And I've got, I'm going to try to take some questions. If you have questions um, that you would like to ask about that, maybe, you know, there were some people on there acting like, man, he kind of won them over or something. Well, that's not good. You need to give me a chance to win you back because I don't think that that's, I definitely don't think that that is the way to go. Um, if you have, uh, arguments that you think completely and totally annihilate and debunk preterism. You can leave some of those. I've got some things that I'm going to cover on that. But uh, so just to start out, I, but I've got several things. So this is a live program. If I uh, start taking questions and stuff, I might get distracted. So we might jump all over the place a little bit, but I'm going to try to be organized in my thoughts and um, I'll occasionally check the live chat to try to answer questions. Remember, start a question out with question. That way I'll spot it easier if there's a lot of people on the live chat. So first thing I want to mention is uh, I did appreciate uh, Don Preston. Uh, he was very gracious. He uh, was a gentleman about the whole thing. Um, I have attempted to do things with other preterists who did not act with the same decorum that he that he did. And... Um, I won't get into some behavior I've seen from others in that area, but he was not that way at all. Uh, he was very gracious. He was very kind. Um, I, I mean, honestly, as a person, I definitely, uh, I think I, I, I could say I like the guy. I've watched his videos. He doesn't, um, you know, I, I don't see him like getting ugly with the other side, but he has his beliefs and he with confidence goes out there and presents them. And so, um, you know, I, we should be able to have conversations with people like that. You do have your rabid people out there that you just can't talk to. And uh, Don is not one of those people. And so I do appreciate that. I will say too, that even though I'm going to be addressing things that I disagreed with, um, let it, let's be fair and also keep in mind that we hit several points where he did not have a lot of time to give everything he had on that subject. I am, uh, I am well aware of that fact. So there's going to be things that I might bring up or that I'd asked him about that he commented on. And he just kind of, cause basically he was just, I was just getting confirmation on what their beliefs were as that's what I was trying to do. And so he would state those beliefs, but I'm sure, you know, there's, he's got a lot of material, you know, he, he's a smart guy for sure. So, um, you know, just so keep that in mind. He definitely could bring up a lot of other things. So I'm not going to sit here and claim I just annihilated his entire argument. Okay. I'm not going to do it because I don't even know all his arguments. Okay. So um, let's be fair there. 
Also, another thing that you all need to make sure that you don't start doing uh, after listening to him is don't hold partial preterists accountable for full preterism and their teachings and some of the things that I would even say are heresy. Um, in the in the Baptist world, for sure, um, preterism or preterist is a bad word. And so often whenever you hear somebody saying things that you don't agree with on eschatology, like certain things have been fulfilled, they typically, instead of uh, you know proving that something has not been fulfilled or debunking what you actually teach, they just keep using the word preterism and that's just kind of a subtle way of putting in your head, heretic, heretic, heretic. And that's just not fair. Okay. I do believe there are certain things where, uh, when it comes to eschatology, where we cross over into heresy or damnable heresy. And, uh, and often, you know, a full preterist would hold to that position that I would say is heresy. But that doesn't mean everything that preterists say is heresy. But, that's kind of what we do in the theological world is we love to attach labels. We like to make those labels very negative. And then we just keep saying those words whenever debunking, whenever we're trying to debunk people. And it's just the way to, it's like a cancel culture thing. It's kind of like where people always just say, uh, you're racist. You know, they just say racist and anti-Semitic for everything. Uh, it's just like, Hey, I can't defeat this guy's argument. I can't combat what he's saying. So I'm going to attach a nasty label to him. That way people will be scared to agree with him because nobody wants that nasty label attached to them. So don't hold other uh, partial preterists accountable for everything full preterists say. Also, do not foolishly and ignorantly lash out when faced with a new challenge. Okay, Don Preston I think definitely brought some new challenges for you. That you know When you listen to him say those things, you're like, I'm not ready to answer this. Okay? Listen, don't panic when that happens, okay? Just, you don't always have to respond as soon as you hear something. You can chew on it for a while. You can listen, you know, and, and also don't just jump to going along with it either. Some of you that are acting like, I think, you know, this, this is it. This is what, this is what I've been thinking. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Don't just get on board with it. All right. Let's listen to the other side. Let's hear some rebuttals to these things first. So, uh, Another thing too, that everybody needs to admit, and I will be the first one to admit it. Some things that he said, I promise you went over your head, okay? especially if you're not familiar with this teaching, there was, there was a lot that I was able to follow because I've listened to enough, but there were certain things that he said where it was like, I don't know if I'm not positive. I understood where he was coming from. And so I need to keep that in mind too, as I debunk this, that when it comes to certain things that were said that I was not familiar with, that I don't fully understand where he was going with that, okay, I should ignore that for now and not just lash out and attack it because I don't, I don't know for sure what he meant there because there, there was a lot of new stuff. So, um, you know, when it, so when it comes to full preterism, I need to take a drink here for a second. Ah, okay. When it comes to full preterism, the, to me, the, the main takeaway that, um, I got from this and, um, that I, that I, and that I was pretty sure of, and I wanted confirmation on, and that is that full preterists do deny a future 
literal visible coming of Christ. And also they deny a future and literal resurrection of the dead. Those are the two places where I believe we should draw some lines and say, all right, this is unacceptable. Okay. And, and understand again, you know, for uh, any uh, Don Preston fans that are out there, even for him, if he listens to this, okay, I've got messages from a long time ago where I drew that line. And this does not mean, uh, even though I do think there's a line here, it doesn't mean I hate the guy. Okay. Um, I, I liked him as a person. And again, he was a gentleman. He deserves a lot of credit. Uh, most pre-tribbers would never do what he did. Even though I have a 100% record of being fair when it comes to people that I disagree with on my program. 100% record. And so, uh, but a lot, but most people are so insecure in their theology, they refuse to allow themselves to be challenged. And so uh, this is nothing personal here. Okay. I do not want this to turn into a personality conflict, you know, where are we just, and that's typically what happens when people are insecure. They start attacking individuals, uh, not the argument, you know, the, the classic ad hominem and all that kind of stuff. But these are just my positions and, and I have not changed my mind on these positions. I think when you deny a literal resurrection of the dead and a literal return of Christ, a physical return of Christ in the future, I do believe that's heresy and I'm not going to get into all the biblical reasons, but in the scriptures, that's where they drew the lines and that's where I draw the lines. And um, some people, they draw lines on the timing of the rapture, which I think that's stupid. I think we ought to be able to have. Uh, in-house disagreement on that. I think we ought to be able to disagree as brothers on that issue. Uh, and and that that is not cause for breaking fellowship. Okay. Now, many pre-tribbers will break fellowship with you over this because they are some of the most insecure people on the planet when it comes to their theology because it's so bad. Dis dispensationalists, they are some of the most insecure people because they have literally one of the weakest and most inconsistent theologies. Now, I will say that full preterism has greater heresies associated with it, but at the same time too, they at least have some consistency in their arguments where the pre-tribulational dispensational crowd, they do not have consistency at all. And it's because they are desperately trying to cling to something that is false while not going into damnable heresy. And it just, it makes them kind of look childish and weird. I just watched a debate that was pretty funny with Spencer Smith, which I didn't think he was ever going to do it. I'm giving him credit for doing it. Uh, and a, uh, a millennialist about the pre-trib rapture. And the, the amillennialist was, was taking him to the woodshed big time. And one of the things that he, Spencer Smith even said on there is that if he didn't believe in an imminent rapture, you know, then he would just, you know, he would just wait until he saw everything start going down to get right with God. And I've heard a lot of pre-tribbers make that argument, which proves, again, they don't know what the new covenant is. Because in the new covenant, God writes his law on our heart. So again, if, if you are only being obedient to God for fear he's going to show up and catch you not doing right, the law of God's not written in your heart. Okay, I am obedient to God because I believe it's the best way. I believe his word. I believe I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Christ is with me right now. 
<laughs> and so uh, when you hear people say stuff like that, only a dispensation would say something that stupid. But there, there is, there's a, uh, but we're gonna, we'll give him credit. He at least had a debate with somebody on that. But, um, you know, so anyway, these things are, we want to be able to be fair. So this literal resurrection though, I draw a line here and there's a reason for that. And so, uh, but I do want to, before I get into, to me, the reality of a physical resurrection that is to come in the future, uh, I'm going to talk about why I still believe that. And while even a lot of your partial preterists, I do not have a problem with these people. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people who believe that things that I believe are future are in the past. I don't have a problem with those people. Absolutely not. In fact, I would go as far as to say they could be right and I might be wrong when it comes to a lot of those things. When I listen to guys like Chuck Baldwin, I'm like, hmm, you know, he, he might be right. I'm not convinced yet, but he could be right. And even other people too, who, uh, you know, I have some differences in, you know, even, even guys like Pastor Matt first that I, I, I think we're really close. You know, he's got things where he's a little different than me, but I, and I, and I'm, while I'm not convinced of certain things, I'll listen to what he says. And it's like, you know, he might, he could be right about that. Not convinced, not completely sure. Uh, but he, he very, very well could be right. Um, but when it comes to the resurrection of the dead, there's no doubt. Okay. I'm, I'm the futurists are right about this. The return of Christ, there's no doubt the futurists are right about this. And so I do want to, uh, cover a few things that were brought up. Um, so first off, um, you know, one thing that he talked a lot about, uh, was, uh, I forgot how he put it exactly, but you know, he scholarship is a big thing for him and, you know, and, and reading the books and listening to what the different people said and understanding the language and all that kind of stuff. And, there's a lot, there was a lot of things that he said that there, there are some facts that are true in that. Uh, I, I get that, but here's, here's the thing. Okay. I personally believe that the Bible is written in a way where if all we had was the Bible, we would be able to know all the things that we need to know. That's why all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Truly furnished unto all good works, perfect, complete. I believe that a person can figure out theology just from this. I am not against learning from other people. I am not against listening to what other people have had to say. I am for all that. But at the same time, sometimes when we start reading after other people, we start finding them veering off from what the scriptures actually teach. And so when you make certain claims, you've got to show me some kind of precedent just in the Bible. And if you can't, I'm going to have a tough time coming around on that. And so when it comes to an idea of a resurrection that is not literal, I think you would be able to find a ton of scholars throughout history that would agree with you on that simply because in the Bible, we see that the resurrection was something that was very debated. We see in Mark 12, 18, then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And we see, so the Pharisees and Sadducees, 
they argued about this. This is in first century, in the days of Christ. In Acts 23.8, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the, re the, but the Pharisees confess both. So, if we're talking about resurrection in the futurist world, we would all literally teach that it is dead corpses, as, as the way he put it, rising from the ground. I believe in a little resurrection of the just, and I believe in a resurrection of the unjust that happens after the thousand years. I believe that's what the scriptures teach. And I believe it's literally corpses rising from the dead. And, and so I, but yes, I will concede. You can find people throughout history that probably did not believe that that's what it was. The Sadducees had the same scriptures that the Pharisees had, but they interpreted them differently. The question is who is right? And it definitely would seem that the Sadducees were wrong when it came to that. And that Paul, who was a Pharisee and would have believed in a resurrection before he was saved. Hey, he would, if, if they were looking at something that was figurative and the, and let's say, um, then what the Pharisees were teach was teaching was very different than what the church was teaching. I think we would see something in his writings showing that, but I personally believe that the Pharisees believed in a, a literal physical resurrection and Paul continued with that belief with the church. And so, uh, if it was some kind of figurative thing, I think we would have some kind of evidence in that. And, I'm going to show you in here in a little bit why I don't think there's any evidence for that. But in Matthew 22, 28, notice it says, therefore, this is after the Sadducees ask him the question about the resurrection. The Sadducees would say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God for in the resurrection. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God saying, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. So to me, this seems like they believe that we're looking for a physical resurrection because, and then they're asking the question too. Who's she going to be married to? She was married to more than one person. So when they rise, who will she be married to? And Jesus, he corrects them because while they believed in a resurrection, they didn't have a proper understanding of that. Now, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 in a little bit. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, in the resurrection, we will have a new and glorified body. And as Christ put it, will be like the angels of heaven. And I do not believe that we will reproduce in our new and glorified bodies there. So, um, that that's an important, uh, distinction to make. There are important thing that we're going to show. So, um, another thing that he said too, so we're going to get to first Corinthians 15 in a minute, but one of the things that he said in the discussion, he said, there are no new prophecies in the new Testament. Okay. Now I would on one hand, agree with that. Okay. Now for sure, we have additional detail given to prophecies from the old Testament. Cause of course there were prophecies about the return of Christ. There was prophecies about the resurrection of the dead and tribulation, all those things. And obviously when we get to the Olivet discourse, we get new details. When we read the book of revelation, 
we get a bunch of new details. But all that prophecy, all those prophecies were just uh, greater clarification of events that had already been prophesied. So, um, and I think that he would agree with that, but I think what he means by that too is that the prophecies of the Old Testament were directed at Israel and their consummation took place in 70 AD. And so for him, he that would mean too, when he's saying there's there were no new uh, prophecies in the New Testament, that any prophecy that we have in the New Testament, even given extra detail, they are not about any events following 70 AD. Okay? And I would disagree with that. I absolutely would disagree with that. But here's what we have to do in the futurist world. This is why I want to challenge our side. And I want to challenge my beliefs on these things. Because first off, we do have to prove why there are new prophecies, if there are. And we also would have to prove why there was this big, massive 2,000-year gap. We We need to talk about that. We need to prove that. And let me tell you what the dispensationalists say, how they explain it does not make sense. And some stuff they say is true, but there's so much error mixed in with their explanation of it. But we have to explain the 2000 year gap, especially between Daniel's 69th and 70th week. Now, it is my personal belief that there is no gap. I believe Daniel's 70th week already happened in that debate. I was watching, you know, he was talking about the 70th week. That's about judgment on the world and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out. Daniel's 70th week is all about Jerusalem, not about global events. Okay. And that's because, you know, this, you know, Spencer Smith has his head in Larkin's charts. Revelation is about global events. Okay. So there are sim, there is a very similar pattern to what we see in the Olivet Discourse and the events of Revelation. But the Olivet Discourse is also about Jerusalem. I believe what we are seeing in the Old Testament prophecies and in the Olivet Discourse is I believe we are seeing prophecies directed at Israel where a blessing and a curse was set before them. I've done multiple programs on this. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. We literally see at the end of Matthew 24, everybody stops reading before we get to the parts where we see um, a another potential outcome. Everybody ignores that part. We see two options. And some people try to act like both happened in 70 AD. Well, that doesn't work. Or, and then you have some that act like nothing happened in 70 AD. Most futurists ignore 70 AD like the plague. And they act like you are adding to the scripture if you ever refer to Josephus. No, you are adding your interpretation of events that you got from dispensational books to the scripture. You are are making speculation. You are adding your speculation to the scripture. Many futurists, they have all come to agree on speculation and it's become sound doctrine in the minds of people. But your speculation does not trump scripture and so what many people are trying to describe when talking about end time events it is it's it's speculation you know the antichrist doing a seven-year peace treaty and then breaking it halfway through that's speculation 
And it's bad speculation. You don't have a verse for that. And no, you do not. You do not have Daniel 9 saying that. You, you have added that into the text. There are, there are many examples of things like that. So I believe that when we look at Old Testament eschatology, that a blessing and a curse is set before Israel. The blessing would be the return of Christ and the gathering together and the, the defeat of their enemies and all these different things. But there's also a curse and they got the curse. You know why? They were not ready. They were not acceptable. And so I believe we are in a period of time, you know, and it, the dispensation was called the church age. Um, I believe we are in a period of time where uh, we are in a time where the, um, when Jesus lent out his vineyard to other husbandmen, the people he lent his vineyard out to the first time didn't have any fruit. So now we are in a period of time where after the kingdom was taken from Israel and given to another nation, and we are preparing the vineyard. So I believe we can take application from the Olivet Discourse and the things that we did not see fulfilled, the blessings of the Olivet Discourse. I believe those things will be fulfilled in the church in the future. But those things for sure did not happen in the first century. And I don't think we need to make historical events fit. I, I, I believe Jesus is literally going to come in the clouds as a five foot five Jewish man, as he was saying. I believe he's going to come in like manner as they have seen him going to heaven. And I believe that he is going to send his angels and they are going to gather the elect and we are going to be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I believe all those things are going to happen. Why? Because this time when at Christ's second coming, he will find what he did not find in his first coming. And you know what he didn't find in the fig tree at his first coming? He didn't find any fruit, but he will at his second coming. You know why? Because no fruit could be produced under the old covenant because man was sinful. The sacrifices under the old covenant, Hebrews tells us it could not make the comers there too perfect. You would have to do these things forever under the old, under the old covenant. But Jesus came and he brought in a new and a better covenant. And so now we as Christians, as that spiritual nation who God gave the kingdom to, we are now doing that work and we are accomplishing and fulfilling what the things of the temple under the old covenant could never do. So we for sure needed these last 2000 years because there was no fruit at Christ's first coming. He wanted people, his house to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so when he died on the cross, understand too, you know, we understand it took care of those of faith in the past, but it wouldn't have been that many. And it wouldn't have been people from all nations like he wanted. So there's many conversations we need to have that I think are important about what Christ was looking for at his first coming and what he didn't find. And if you do a study on that, we will see every one of those things will be found at his second coming. So I, th I think when it comes to the Olivet Discourse, that was in fact a prophecy directed at, the, at Israel at that first coming, and it included a blessing and a curse, and they got the curse. And I believe the good things, the blessings 
will find their fulfillment in the future at Christ's second coming. And that, that is my, that is my belief on that. And, you know, I think to teach in another way is just to random to randomly teach a 2000 year gap in Daniel's 70th week. Again, if you want to make application, but Daniel's 70th week already happened and, and Israel got a curse. So, um, you know, so another thing you brought, talked about was apocalyptic language. That's a real thing. There is apocalyptic language. There is stuff that is figurative, not meant to be taken literal. Uh, but here's the thing. How do we prove who is using their apocalyptic language correctly? How do we interpret apocalyptic language correctly? And so I believe that when it comes to apocalyptic language, and he could have talked for a long time about this. I could have talked for a long time about this. But I believe that when we see apocalyptic language, that there is often an immediate spiritual fulfillment of those things that take place, while later we see a more literal fulfillment of those things. And I already covered some of that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that on my video about why I'm, I am still a futurist. I, I, and I think this is one of the things I kind of like about listening to preterists in the futurist world. We never talk about the spiritual fulfillment. We never talk about how the kingdom of Christ has come, how he is seated on the right hand of the father. We never talk about how all power and authority has been given to him. We have not, we don't talk about how we are seated with him in heavenly places. There are so many things that we can claim right now as Christians spiritually though, and futurists never talk about those things, you know, and, but at the same time, preterists often do talk about those things, but they deny the literal fulfillment of those things. And I do believe we've got a literal physical fulfillment of these things coming. And we're going to go over that in some scriptures here in a little bit, but another thing too, this is a reminder of based on some of the things that brought up. And, um, this is something that I don't really spend a lot of time talking about on this channel because it's mainly focused about prophecy but i probably should do some episodes just on this subject um i think i, I might i should ask uh matt first to come back on the program and talk about this but just the kjv does matter the translation of the bible you use does matter um he brought up certain things in the king james how it's a bad translation we don't believe that Okay, we're, my theology is formed by the words of this book. It is supposed to be formed by every word of this book. And I know that's where a lot of people disagree. And there are some things that we will never agree on if we don't have agreement in other areas. So for example, we will never agree on eschatology if we're not in agreement on Israel. And so there are some things we will never fully agree on if we're not in agreement on the translation issue. And so there are some things where we're just, that's why, you know, when it comes to fellowship, the King James issue is very important because I feel like I'm spinning my wheels, even trying with some people, uh, because, um, we're, yeah, we're not going to come on the same page if we don't have some place we can go to settle the argument. And so here, the King James Bible settles the argument. 
on all things. And, uh, and so there were things that he mentioned too about the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And uh, man, you know, it was one of those things I, I, I wanted to get sidetracked and talking to him about it because he was talking about in second Thessalonians two, where it talks about how the day of the Lord has already come. And then uh, I forgot the question, but he, but he asked a question, you know, um, about that. I forgot the question exactly, but it's just like, I remember when he said it, it's like, oh, well, actually, you know what? There's no confusion there at all. If you understand it, no, it's actually the day of Christ. And, uh, and it's stated the day of Christ for a reason, but the, let's, let's just say the King James issue really does matter. It really does matter. And, um, but if people don't agree on that, we're just never going to agree with them on some things. But anyway, um, he, his point about to the national resurrection of Israel was interesting. And so when it talks about the resurrection, he believes it was always about like a national resurrection of Israel or like a spiritual resurrection that they would have. But listen, I believe many, I, I believe there's, when it comes to a lot of the prophecies about the resurrection of the nation, I believe those prophecies were fulfilled in Christ because uh, first off, Jesus Christ, he was, he was the true Israel. I've been showing as we go through the book of Matthew, all the things that Jesus has been repeating and kind of doing over that Israel did wrong. And so I do believe in some of the old Testament prophecies, like, um, there's the one in, I think it's in Hosea where it talks about after two days and on the third day, you know, they'll resurrect or something along those lines. A lot of people say, well, that's about Israel coming back as a nation after 2000 years. That's ridiculous. That was also fulfilled in Christ. You know, he was smitten. He, he died and he did it on behalf of Israel. And then God raised him from the dead. So I believe that's, that's fulfilled in Christ. And so interpretation of prophecy too, it often reveals our focus for some the, and when I say that too, it reveals our focus and what we all do, we all have our area of focus and we all tend to try to shove our theology into the shape of whatever that hole is. And sometimes we're trying to shove a square peg into a round hole or something like that. And so for the preterist 70 AD is kind of the focal point for them. They interpret everything in light of everything being the, you know, in the fact in their mind that all things were fulfilled by 70 AD, you know, for other people, all prophecy, it's focused on just the rapture. You know, when we get taken out of here and in their timing of the rapture and they do all their reading and they force everything into a pre-trib rapture box for some people, it's all about the Jews. They make everything about the Jews. They're kind of forcing everything they see about prophecy to fit with their theology they have about the Jews. But the reality is what is the Bible focused on? Okay. What are the main events? So for us, the main event we like to focus on is the rapture. That's kind of, that's kind of our main thing for the preterists. It's 70 AD and, and what they believe all of that means. But in the scriptures, the focal point of eschatology and prophecy tend to be centered around really two things. And that is a resurrection of the dead and God's judgment. Those seem to be the focal points. Okay. Now let's not even worry about timing here for a minute of those events, but let's just understand 
for sure throughout the scriptures, two things are a theme, and that is a coming of the Lord in judgment and a resurrection of the dead. Now, how can, you know, how do we prove these things are in fact physical and not spiritual? Because I do not believe what happened in 70 AD was the resurrection, the rapture, or anything like that. How do we prove these are in fact physical with the scripture? Again, you will find theologians that taught it both ways throughout history. There's always been Pharisees and Sadducees. So, first off, when it comes to the resurrection, okay, to say that it's about a spiritual restoration or resurrection of Israel to me is ridiculous because, too, the resurrection was something that was believed long before Israel was even a thing. And, and so was coming judgment. If coming judgment is all about God coming to judge Israel, that doesn't make sense either because God, God's coming in judgment or Christ's coming in judgment was prophesied before there was an Israel. We see in Jude 1.14, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch prophesied of a coming in judgment. He did this during a time too, when the world was becoming wicked, when violence was growing in the world, a time before the flood. There is no Israel during this time. There is a time of, this is a, this was a time of evil and God was about to judge the world with water. But Enoch prophesied of a coming judgment clearly on the world. There's no way to make that prophecy about coming judgment on Israel. And what happened in 70 AD was judgment on Israel. I believe they were judged for what they had done with the gospel and with how, for how they had treated God's people. And I believe someday God is going to judge the world for what they have done with the gospel and for how they have treated God's people. And so Israel had 2000 years from Abraham to Christ and they paid dearly. They went through tribulation. They suffered the time of Jacob's trouble. All these things came to pass on them. And I, and I believe during that time, God set a pat, use them as a pattern and an example for what he is going to do in the future on all the world. And I believe all of the world will suffer judgment as a result of what they have done with God, uh, with, uh, the gospel and how they have treated God's people. That's what I believe. Okay. And again, in the futurist world, we ignore that pattern. Why? And there's a reason futurists ignore that because for the last 200 years, We've been teaching about a physical restoration of Israel that's coming in the future and God's not done with Israel and all that nonsense. And so they've, they've, they've been forced to ignore the judgment that came on them and the finality of that judgment. But that was only on Israel. It's all going to come on the world. And I believe that's what we're seeing in Revelation. So, um, so yes, a coming judgment on the world was prophesied by Enoch and it was on the world, not Israel. That was back in the days of Genesis, before the flood, in Job 19. This is before Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is, Job was probably a contemporary 
with Abraham, but before Israel has been is become a nation, before the, the oracles of God have been committed to them. Job in 19.23 says, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So he's talking about a day far in the future. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ right there. I know that my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He knew he wasn't going to live a normal life span to be a, or, or a life to see that he knew it was that far in the future but he said and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall i see god that's pretty specific right there you know because job he'd been around long enough people have been around long enough they knew what happened to dead bodies after a period of time that the worms get him they turn to dust but they still believed the words of God and they did believe in a coming resurrection. And he said, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So Job knew his body was going to rot and be eaten of worms, but he knew at the latter day he was going to stand. You know why? He's talking about a physical resurrection. Now, there is no way Job is talking about something in the future, spiritually, that's going to happen with Israel that he's going to experience. Job has not risen from the dead. Nobody claims he has. You can't convince me Job is not going to rise from the dead and see Christ in the flesh one of these days. And here's another thing too. Why is it that they always had a practice, the, the Jewish culture and other cultures did too. Christians have always practiced this of burial, of burying the dead. You know, why did Joseph want them to carry his bones out of Egypt? Why did Jacob want to be, want to be buried, uh, you know, in, in the land of Israel? Why did he, they want these things? You know why? Because they believed in a resurrection of the dead. If they believed that the body was never going to come back, then why didn't they do like all the pagan cultures and just burn the bodies? I mean, it doesn't matter. We're not coming, we're not coming back physically. So let's just, let's just burn it. You know, who cares what happens? No, burial was very important because they believed in a resurrection. And again, I believe God can resurrect ashes, but at the same time too, um, I'm glad that I, that I, it is, it is a comforting thought to me that not just in my spirit, am I going to see God one of these days in my flesh, I'm going to see him. I'm going to resurrect. And so again, to make Job, not a physical resurrection to me is just the ultimate eisegesis. It's very clear what it is. And so when we get to first Corinthians 15, we have the apostle Paul who is, um, you know, who, or who was a Pharisee who is teaching about the resurrection. Okay. Now, uh, he said a little, you know, he's briefly spoke in our, our conversation about what these things mean. And some of the stuff he said went over my head and I'm sure he's got a lot of other arguments and uh, I got confused a few times, but the, basically the gist of it is Don Preston does not believe that first Corinthians 15 is talking about the raising of dead corpses. I believe it is Okay, Now let's just go through some scriptures and see if there is any reason to believe that. We'll start reading in verse 12. You know what? In fact, I'm going to put this up on the screen for you in case you're tired of looking at my face. 
says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, I'll say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, thankfully, Don Preston, he did uh, confirm the fact that he believes in a literal physical resurrection of Christ. That's very good. That's very important. Uh, you are outside of Christianity to not believe in a literal resurrection of Christ. I think I have to go as far as saying you're outside of Orthodox Christianity too to deny a literal resurrection of the dead. And and I, but uh, I, I do believe that. But he goes and says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And Christ's resurrection was physical. I believe ours is too. But some were saying that it wasn't. You know why? Because yes, there have always been people who thought that the resurrection was obviously not literal. People have been arguing about that for a very long time. But let's see what Paul, the words that Paul writes. Let's see, let's look at these, at the words that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write and ask yourself, are we talking spiritual, metaphorical, or are we talking literal? Okay, so let's keep reading. Uh, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if ye be not raised, or if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And let me tell you, when I when I hear preterism, I think of that verse all the time. It's like, really? We're in the new heaven and new earth? That stinks. Now, I am looking for something better than this. I am looking for a day when there's no more sorrow, crying, death, pain, all those things. Uh, those things are all still here. And so notice he says, that they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ. You know, why is they falling asleep? Because again, they're only physically dead. And that physical body is not going to stay dead. It's going to come back. It's going to rise. They, are, they will be resurrected. I think 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians 4, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious too, that he's literally comforting the people over the loved ones they lost, showing there is going to be a reunion and a resurrection that he talks about. So not, not just a reuniting, which in heaven, but a resurrection is also mentioned in there. And so verse 20, it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since by man came death. And yes, that death was physical and it was spiritual by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ, it is coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, Right here is something that we need to park on for a little bit too, because this is important. This is important. And notice how it says, um, then come at the end. Okay. There's going to be Christ, the first fruits, 
He, that, he was the first one to resurrect from the dead, never to die again. Afterward, they that are Christ it is coming. So at his coming, that's, that, that's important. I don't believe this happened in 70 AD. Cause look, it says for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now Christ is reigning right now. Okay. The preterists are right about that. He is reigning. He's seated at the right hand of the father. He said in Matthew 28, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus has all power and all authority, things in heaven and things in earth right now. Okay? Right now, he has all that power and authority. Okay? Now, and again, that's important to understand too, because when he returns, he is going to, the, the world is going to be held accountable for what they did under his authority. And guess what? Our world has been being disobedient. But so notice he must reign. So he was reigning during this time. And, um, this is before 70 AD. Till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that should be destroyed is death. Now, how was death destroyed in 70 AD? Again, I understand Jesus spiritually accomplished everything at the cross, but the physical uh, fulfillment of these things, these things have not happened. The restitution of all things that, that talks about in Acts, the, the times of refreshing that shall come. N listen, nothing has changed since the book of Acts and that early church when we see it getting started and now. Things are still the same. It nothing changed in 70 AD in the church. What we have been seeing historically throughout the church is what we see going on in the book of Acts. You know why? Because nothing's changed since then. Death has not been destroyed yet. Because again, now when we get saved, we will never die spiritually. Jesus, you know, has defeated that and that uh, that aspect of death and given us eternal life, but we're all going to die physically. And you know what? Other people are still dying spiritually and are still going to hell. Death is just as busy as he's ever been. Nothing has changed on that. And so he is going to, he is reigning now and Jesus is going to reign and he is going to, uh, he's going to deliver up the kingdom after he has defeated the final enemy. Death has not been defeated. But what does it say in the, in the end of this chapter? When this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus will defeat death at the resurrection. So, um, that's death has not been swallowed up in victory. Let, let's read a little bit more. Um, so for he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all else. What should they do that are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise, not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? And I, now I don't want to put any words in Don Preston's mouth, but from other preterists that I've listened to and things that I've read, they like to talk about, you know, they, they rightfully talk about the wickedness of Israel and how, you know, it's Babylon and all these different things. 
and talk about just this vindication of the martyrs and all these different things that happened when they were destroyed in 70 AD. And so Paul, he's like, you know, he's like, if the dead don't rise, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Well, here's my question. Were Christians no longer in jeopardy after 70 AD? Because Christians have been getting slaughtered for the last 2000 years. Okay. And again, while Jerusalem was originally the, you know, the ones dishing out the persecution, understand it did not stop at the destruction of, of Israel. While the physical nation died, while the physical city was destroyed, let me tell you something, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist has continued and it is alive and well today for sure. And many Christians in many parts of the world are in jeopardy every hour. But again, like it says in Hebrews, they're willing to face these things. Why? Well, they might obtain a better resurrection. We believe we're coming back. And I, and I do, I believe it's physical. So I, he, you know, he's using some reasoning here and I think these things are worth pointing out. So let's keep reading. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, which it, what advantage it, it me, if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt good manners, awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So it is, it is, I mean, awake to righteousness, sin, not all these different things. We're supposed to be living in a way, you know, like we will someday when we have that new and glorified body. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people aren't doing that. They're bad exam uh, examples in that. But I mean, I just don't know how you get around the physical part of this. Now, to me, this part here is where it just puts it to bed, where it leaves absolutely no doubt. Goes on to say, and <clears throat> sorry, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not been looking at the live chat at all, but I do intend to get to that. So if you have questions on there, uh, don't worry. I'm going to go back and look here in a little bit, but it says, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come now? This is really important here because we're arguing about what the resurrection is. And so, uh, and obviously there were false ideas back then too. And so Paul is clarifying, okay? He, he's clarifying, he's showing something here. And I think it's pretty obvious. So how are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? Is it dead corpses coming back to life? What does that mean? What does that look like? You know, and so, you know, my, my old grandpa that was just frail and decrepit and his body was falling apart, you know, when he rises from the dead, what's he going to look, is he going to look like he did right before he died? Are they going to be, look like zombies from the walking dead walking around? You know, what's this resurrection going to look like? How is this going to work? Everybody who resurrected in the past, they just died again later. So, you know, I don't know for sure what all they were thinking when they're saying these things, but I can guess. And to me, uh, I, we can understand, I think, what they were thinking based on the response that Paul gets gives. And so he says, thou fool, that which so, thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. 
and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, terrestrial, and the bodies of the celestials one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star of earth, for another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So what's he showing here? Okay. He's like, Hey, they're not going to be stinking zombies when they come back. No, they're not going to look all old and decrepit and, and beat up like they were when you put them into the ground. Now fool, just like when you put a seed into the ground, what comes out of the ground? Not the, just the seed, but there's a new and glorious body. You have a tree that comes just from that seed. And so that physical body, it's sown in corruption. That's what this is. It's corruptible. It's sown in weakness. It's sowed in dishonor, but this body it's raised in glory. It's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. And that's why we talk about the new and glorified body that we are going to have one of these days. And there, and so we are not going to sin. We are not going to die and we're not going to marry or be given in marriage. We are going to have a spiritual body, a glorified body, and it will be this body. However, changed, glorified, just like you can take a seed and put it in the ground. And you know what? When, later, when you see that tree, you can say, that's that seed. That, it, that, that, that was the seed. Now it's that tree. It's just changed. It's better now. Just like if you take a baby and I show you a picture of me when I was a baby. And then you, and I say, that's me. You're like, no, look, you guys don't even look the same. Things that are different are not the same. And I was like, well, yeah, I've grown, you know, I've changed, you know, maybe some for the better, maybe some for the worst, depending on who you ask, I guess. But either way, it's the same thing too. This body is going to be sown. It's going to be put in the ground, but it is going to be raised a spiritual body. One that's like Christ, one that will never sin. It will be, that will be immortal. Okay. And so all of these things, the corruption, the weakness, the dishonor, the natural, we all understand that is referring to the physical body. It is talking about the physical body and that natural body is going to become a spiritual body. And so it is written. Let's read a little more. The first man was made a living soul or the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is Lord from heaven, as is the earthy. Such are they also that are earthy, as is the heavenly. Such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And so understand too, this is important. With prophecy, again, I said this before and it's right. There is often an immediate spiritual fulfillment with a later physical fulfillment. So for so we must be born again. Ye must be born again. When a person believes on Christ, they are born again. They they are that, that there's that new 
spiritual man. But understand, we don't have that spiritual body yet. That comes later. And one of these days, we will bear the... So right now, right now, all you can see is the image of the earthy. You see the image of Adam. But one of these days, I will bear the image of the heavenly. I will. This will. This body will. It's going to be changed. It's going to, and so he goes on to say, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Hey, Paul talked a lot about the vile body. And so he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible <clears throat> must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, <clears throat> and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, notice several things too. Okay, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. Mortal is going to put on immortality. I am mortal physically, but I will become immortal also physically. With the new body, when a change takes place, we should not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What changed happened in 70 AD? What were these people looking for and excited about? What were they told to be looking for that happened in 70 AD? What, what changes took place in the church? What change took place in the life of a believer during that time? Note, nothing changed after that time. Absolutely nothing changed. Change. And I'm going to prove to you too. That's that's scriptural to say that nothing's changed. But just a couple other verses. First John three two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? We have been born again. When you believed on Christ, you were born again. Right then, immediately, spiritually, you were born again. You have eternal life, and you are. We are the sons of God. But and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. <clears throat> and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What changed in these people in 70 AD? I mean, when Israel got theirs, I'm sure they felt some vindication after all that had happened to them. But what changed in their life? Did their lives become better just because their enemies got destroyed? only for them to start being persecuted by the Romans instead. N nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed. Philippians 3.24, our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it, that it, what's the it? Our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to even to subdue all things unto himself. So God, listen, God judging Jerusalem would be a sorry conclusion considering the fact the Romans just continued persecuting Christians after that. It's like, we're just, Hey, y'all just hang on, hang on a little longer. Israel's about to get theirs and then new heaven, new earth. Everything's great. 
Oh, and by the way, in that new heaven, new earth, you're going to still get persecuted by the Romans. You know, and it's just going to be that way forever. Listen, nothing changed. Nothing has changed from the book of Acts and into 70 AD until now. Nothing changed. Second Peter 3, 3 says, knowing this first, there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Peter prophesied of a time when people are going to be like, it's, it's been so long. And what I'm afraid the preterists are doing, they, you know, they know better than to deny and just say, you know what? God broke his promise to us. No, you know what they're doing? They're doing like Abraham did in that previous podcast. And they're changing the terms and conditions of that promise. Folks, Jesus promised to come again. He promised a resurrection of the dead and there he is going to come back. He's going to come back. But and I don't care how long it's been. He's coming. He's coming back. And, uh, you know, and people go to verse eight, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And, you know, I do think it's okay to use as his precedent. That's like, man, it's been a really long time. Why, why are we still here? Okay. But, um, but the Bible tells us the Lord is not his long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all that come to repentance. You know what? Cause he's wanting us to bear fruit. He wants fruit in the vineyard. So maybe I personally think if you want to speed things up, some people think we can speed things up by helping Israel get their land and get the temple rebuilt and that'll usher in the kingdom. That's stupid. Okay. I personally think if you can theoretically, you know, speed up the coming of Christ, it's by getting more souls saved. I, I if, if that's possible to do, you know, is there a set time in the future that he's coming back, whether we get many people saved or not? I don't know. I don't know the day or the hour. Is it a set number of souls? I don't know for sure on that either. Here's what I do know. And that is, if it is a set number of souls, let's hurry up and get them so we can get out of here. Okay? But at the same time too, if it is a set time, let's go get a whole bunch of people saved so less people go to hell. How about that? Again, not trying to make everything about soul winning, but soul winning, you know, is, is really important. Go get, go get more people saved. That's one, always one of the best things you can do. And so Peter said in verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And I don't think that's here folks. This world is still wicked. We still have death, sorrow, crying. I get it in Christ. You know, we don't have, we don't, we, uh, you know, we have all of those things, but I believe it's very clear that these things are coming on the world. I believe. Jesus never came back with 10,000 of his saints to judge the world. Okay. If you, if you want to say, you know, he came with some angels in 70 AD and that vision Josephus talked about with the chariots running around the sky, you know, was Christ coming in judgment? Okay. He came in judgment on Jerusalem, but he didn't come on the world. What was he? What Enoch was literally talking about a nation that didn't even exist when he gave that prophecy. No, they were talking about the world. And he's, and he taught that during a time when the world was very wicked. So we do the, there's, 
so many more places. And if you have any other scriptures that you like to use as proof of a literal, physical uh, resurrection, all that kind of stuff and return of Christ, you can go ahead and leave them in there and we'll cover those. But um, I'll try to look at the uh, live chat and um, answer some questions and maybe take some time to, to uh, read some of the comments from the last video. But uh, let me see. The more I research, the more I'm convinced KJV is the preserved word. Early translations like the Vulgate Magazine text introduced heresy. Yeah, yeah. I get more and more convinced of the King James all the time. And the biggest errors in everything from eschatology to salvation. It's typically because people get away from the King James Bible. And I do. I, you, you can't prove anything to me that you can't prove with the King James. And I don't believe in just like you can't prove Calvinism uh, with the King James. You know, you can't you can't prove Zionism with the King James. Uh, you definitely can't do preterism. And I've, I've, I've had conversations with other preterists before. One time I had one on one on, we were talking about first Corinthians 15 and he went, he was going through verse by verse as he's explaining these things to me. And he got to this one verse. I wish I could remember. I wish I knew what version he was using, but there was a huge difference in that one verse. And a lot of his theology was built on what that verse said. And it was not the same thing that my King James said. And I believe uh, that, that I believe that really messed him up and got him in trouble. And so, um, yeah, it seems to me the more complicated a theology is more times than not. It's not true. And that is, that is typically true. I get it. Some things are tricky, you know, for sure. Eschatology is tricky, but man, when you got to get that complicated and got to go read all these scholars and all these different things, and you just can't get it from the Bible, you can't display it from the Bible. You can't prove the you, the language and all that. Then when the Bible says that the man got me perfect, thoroughly furnished, I just, I, I have a tough time going along with that. And so, um, yeah, I couldn't possibly agree more with this right here. If he already came and this is my glorified body, I got shortchanged. I still get ridiculed and I still suffer as do we all. Yeah. You know what? We are still saying like Paul that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. I mean, it is the, nothing has changed from the, from the old covenant, uh, to the new covenant or not from the old covenant to the new covenant. Sorry. There's some changes there, but since the, the, the coming in of the new covenant, it's, it's definitely been the same. And uh, I want to, I want to read some of these comments on here for everyone. Um, yeah. I don't know what this is all about, but the main reason out of many full preterism is, uh, preterism is impossible is there are two sets of 144,000, not one. And I've never heard that before. I got to see NASB. That's probably part of the problem right there. But um, yeah, there was, oh, there was a few comments on here. I was wanting to address. Here's one. So basically to be a preterist, you have to look at the Bible as a metaphorical book and also say that the KJV translators were not that good. Seems that most odd doctrines rely on the KJV being mistranslated and in a specific area where they need to be. And so, yeah, uh, listen, there are metaphors in the Bible. Abs absolutely. There are, there are metaphors 
but at the, you know, there's a difference between um something in Revelation where John is seeing a vision of a beast and you know all these different things, and a passage where Paul's talking about the resurrection, okay, and he's explaining the body that we put in the ground. I mean, just you can tell when we're getting apocalyptic, metaphorical, allegorical, you know, um, I heard, I heard some in that one debate I was listening to, I like the way the one guy put it is, uh, hopefully I'll get this right. He said, we should always interpret the Bible according to, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but something according to the literature that it's written in. So if it's written poetically, it's poetic. If it's written metaphorically, then it's metaphoric. If it's written literally, then it's literal. So yes, that, I, I thought that that's a good way to put it because there are allegories in the Bible. There are historical facts in the Bible. And so when you, you, uh, you should always look at that each passage for how it's read and interpret it in that way. And I, and so, well, 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 the book of revelation, while everybody uses metaphors and allegories and symbolic stuff at one way or shape or form. Okay. There's a big difference between that, which we can have some disagreements on and something like the resurrection, the resurrection of the last day, the resurrection. That's a big thing. Remember when Jesus told Martha, your brother shall rise again. Well, I know he'll rise at the resurrection last day. Jesus meant physical. Okay. Now she thought in the future, but he's like, no, actually we're going to do it today. It's going to happen today. He's going to, he's going to rise again. So again, there, to me, there is just no way to prove from the scriptures that the resurrection they were all looking forward to was not physical, but let's look at a few more of these. Um, As a completely unrelated side note, why do you have the hymn Jesus? Oh yeah, I already answered this guy. Jesus coming. I don't think I don't think Jesus is coming again as a pre-trib hymn. I do think uh, there are some hymn books that have changed the words where it says Jesus. Uh, it has some eminency stuff in there, but I don't think the way it was originally written has the eminency on it. But um, Pastor McMurtry, how about I just stick to reading the KJV and listen to Baptists like you who preach from the Bible? And how about I not listen to Don the Preterist Preston? Hey, nobody's got to listen to him. Absolutely not. Uh, but again, I, I'm i seeing a lot of people going to preterism. I'm, and and I, I think the reason I want to do this too, I think one of the reasons a lot of people are going into preterism is because the dominant voice in eschatology in the Baptist world, where I am from, is a dispensational pre-tribulational voice. And the problem is they have so many things wrong that um, it's, and the preterists are pointing these things out. Often when I listen to preterists creaming the dispensationalists, I mean, they're right in the stuff that they're creaming. Dispensationalism is a horrible doctrine and it has so many holes in it. I'm glad they believe in a future coming of Christ and resurrection of the dead but the path they take to get there is ridiculous. And so I, people, it's, it's important that I learn how to answer these because dispensationalists can't answer any of this stuff. Okay. You go, you put up a dispensationalist against a predator. They're going to take him to the woodshed in Daniel nine on the Olivet discourse. They're absolutely going to take him to the woodshed 
on those things. And I personally think I have answers that they don't have. And I want those people that are leaning, uh, you know, that are leaning away from dispensationalism. I don't want them falling into full preterism. I'd rather them fall my way. So I want to, I want to engage with these people. Again, I'm not afraid of anybody. So what if he, you know, he beats you in an argument and convinces you he's right? Well, hey, if I'm wrong on something, I want to fix it. But I don't believe I'm wrong on this. I, I'm And listen, I might be making some mistakes in how I get to my futurism. And if I am taking, a, if I'm making mistakes to get to the right conclusion, I want to fix those mistakes. I don't want holes in my argument. So, um. Yeah, there's a lot of comments on here and we're going long. I thought there was some I was wanting to. Oh, yeah, here's one I wanted to respond to. <clears throat> I said something in the comments, but I, I knew this would upset some people doing this. But it says, I cannot believe you're letting this man push this document without any comment. Remember, you have babes in Christ watching. This can be confusing for them. And, and listen, I get that. I get that. But again. I, I said I was going to do my comment later, but at the end of the day too, I'm, I'm not bringing him into my church. This is in YouTube land. And guess what? Don Preston is all over YouTube. He's got a much bigger following on YouTube than I have. So a babe in Christ can go find him. I, I don't have the ability to censor all the dissenting voices and things that are out there. So forgive me. If I want to walk into the public square and engage with these people and get my point of view out there in that way. So, uh, that's why I do things like this. And, you know, and Don Preston, you know, he's, he's willing to come on my program cause he's trying to do the same thing. But I think both of us would agree that we think truth will win out in the end. So, um, you know, that, that's why I do things like this and I will continue to do things like this. In fact, Okay, I uh, I intend to reach out to a Calvinist, not to talk about Calvinism, but to talk about amillennialism. Because there's a lot I don't understand about amillennialism. We briefly touched on it with Don Preston, but a lot. But there's a lot of amillennialists that believe Jesus is coming back too. And so uh, I'm kind of interested in getting their perspective because I want to strengthen my beliefs about the millennium. And I have, I have my positions, but at the same time too, I want to strengthen them. And I, I believe I can strengthen them by being challenged on these things. And so uh, that's what I intend to do. But uh, if anybody else has any other questions, I would get them in now. Um, somebody asked my thoughts on Jesse Lee Peterson. I don't really know anything. About, is, it, is that that amazing guy that? Uh, guy who thinks he's never sinned before. If that's him, I don't like him. I think that's who Jesse Lee Peterson is. Uh, I'm not sure, but, um, okay. But yeah, if there's, if there's any other questions, definitely, uh, yeah, get to them quickly. Well, yeah, this last part, I never really got, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to get to this in the discussion I had with him but I'll, let me briefly cover this if y'all are tired of listening you can shut this off but let me just go ahead and get this in here so one thing i i, I wanted to cover is there are things i have learned from preterists okay now this is where they can be dangerous because again 
if you are somebody in the Baptist world, you have been influenced by dispensationalism. Even in the post-trib world, we all use a lot of dispensational lingo that I think causes a lot of confusion. And that's something I'm working on trying to fix because um, I, I do. I think it's very counterproductive. But um, there are things that I've learned from preterists. So for one, some preterists have some really good teaching about Israel that you don't find in the futurist world. Okay, If I listen to a preterist uh, talk about Israel and a uh, dispensationalist, I'm probably going to agree with the preterists. And they they do a really good job. Uh, they I've, I've heard them point out things. They've pulled stuff from the Old Testament and the New Testament, things that I never thought of before. It's like, man, that's more ammo for what we teach about Israel. So they definitely have some good stuff on there. And that's where they can, you know, so be careful. You're listening on YouTube sometime. You listen to a guy just nailing it on Israel. He might be a preterist because a lot of times they're right about these things. But preterists too, they make more sense in their interpretation of Daniel 70 weeks. Okay? And they do. They make some really good arguments about the foolishness of teaching a 2000 year gap. They do a really good job of showing scripturally how, um, all the things that it said that the Messiah would accomplish, you know, in that 70 weeks were accomplished in the first century. I agree with them on that. If I listen to a full preterist and a futurist, especially, you know, talk about Daniel 70 of the week, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to agree more with what the full preterist says. And so do we can't do this thing. We're just because we don't like their conclusion. We try to get as far away from them as possible. Hey, let's not swing the pendulum. Let's not go into another ditch. Again, you hate full preterism so much because they teach Jesus and coming back. You know, you're hiding from everything partial preterists teach. Now, partial preterists have a lot of a lot of good teaching. Some stuff I'm not real sure on yet, but a lot of things I I am pretty sure on. Because a lot of a lot of partial preterists fall into the amillennial category too, which I'm not there, but. Uh, but yeah, so preterists too often make more sense when it comes to the Olivet Discourse. Futurists ignore the reference to this generation not passing. In that debate with Spencer Smith, he was specifically asked about that. Uh, along, and, But they included some other details in there too. He completely ignored it. He completely ignored in Revelation, when they asked about Revelation, things which must shortly come to pass, he completely ignored it. You know why? Because there's not a dispensationalist on the planet that has an answer for that. They ignore it. I refuse to ignore any scripture. If the Bible says things which must shortly come to pass, we need to reconcile that with our theology. If it says this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled, we've got to reconcile that. And I believe I can. But... Most futurists don't even try. They just run from it. That's lame. I, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'll, I'll let I'll let the preterists stand there and beat the snot out of me over it until I figure out how to counter it and, you know, and fix it because I refuse to ignore any scriptures. So um, preterists too, they make some interesting points. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. We, he briefly touched on it about the early date of Revelation being written before 70 AD. To me, that's a that's a pretty important thing. That does change some things in my mind if it was written before 70 AD. Some things, not everything. I still think Jesus is coming back. I, um, th but there there is a way that I would interpret certain aspects of Revelation differently 
if I were to be convinced that it was written before 70 AD. And I might do a program on that one of these days because I, I personally hold to the late date, but that's more because it fits my theology. Okay. Now I think a lot of people that hold to the early date, it's because it fits their theology. So, you know what, let's have a conversation about that. You know what? Let's, let's strengthen that. I believe it strengthens the futurist if we can prove it's after 90, after 70 AD. Okay. But if it's before, then there's definitely some things too that would align more with what partial preterists say. So, you know, let's talk about that. Let's not run from it. Okay. Let, let, let's, let's figure that one out. Y'all, y'all give me your best ammo for either one. People listening to this, give me your best ammo for why it's written before or after 70 AD. And, and maybe one of these days we'll do a program on uh, explaining the positions because I think I understand both um, and I would be fair to both of them because I, you know, just because I personally hold to a late later date, um, it's not as strong of a position as I would like it to be. But, um, but then too, we will discuss what that would change if it was written before 70 AD. I think that's an, I think that's an important conversation. Again, most people are, are afraid to even address that. Um, but you know, they're now they're quick to just declare something factual that fits their theology. But again, did you really prove it? You know, so, um, futurists too, they ignore. Yeah. I already covered that. The reference to things will shortly come to pass. Um, but yeah, and preterists too often have some good teaching on certain aspects of the new covenant in God's kingdom that are often ignored in the futurist world. We're afraid to talk about those things because we're always, everything's about the millennium. And again, I do believe in a future physical fulfillment of these things uh, that's going to be coming in the future. But um, I do think it's important that we talk about uh, the uh, spiritual fulfillment. So anyway... Um, let me check. So final check for questions and it looks like a bunch came in. I wasn't looking. So got New Zealand here. Nice. So what are your thoughts on? Oh yeah. I already looked at that one. I just, have you ever had any run-ins with Sean Griffin or his people's beliefs? I don't believe I have because I do not know who that is. Are you a cessationist? Um, I don't know. What is a sensationist exactly? Um, let me look that, let me look that up real quick. I'm not familiar with, I, I know I, I've heard of it, but let me, let me look at the definition for that. It's a doctrine that the spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing ceased with the apostolic age. I believe, yeah, so I guess I would be a sensationist then to a certain extent. Yeah, I believe that those things were signs that God gave to show the authority of the apostles and the things that they were preaching. And so I, now that we have the completed canon of scriptures, we have no need for something like that. The miracles, the signs, those are for unbelievers, not for believers. And this movement of Christians going around and performing all these miracles and doing these type of things just kind of at their own will, that doesn't even resemble what they did in the scriptures. 
it's I mean, it's so far removed from what they did in the Bible. And that's another subject for another day. But yeah, I don't believe in that. Church one, Tyler Baker has a good message proving a late day of the book of Revelation. And you know what? I, I did listen to that. It was, it was interesting. I don't, I wouldn't go as far as saying he proved it. I think he did a good job of showing the argument uh, that people use to teach the early date. But uh, at the same time, um, you know, I do think there's other possible um, explanations for that. He might be right. He, he, he might be right. And so would you be willing to debate that on Donnie's channel? I mean, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to, the only problem is when you say what I'd be willing to debate that on Donnie's channel is, um, it wouldn't be much of a debate because I would be going into it knowing I don't have a super strong conclusive position. So if I went on there, I don't, I always hate when people go on debates and where they don't really have a strong position. Cause then it's just, you know, you, you want to see somebody get their feet held to the fire and, um, you know, and so when a person is just, you know, okay, yeah, fine, whatever, uh, that's just kind of boring. So I don't know how many people would want to watch that, but at the same time too, um, what I would do on there is, you know, I would throw some challenges at that to that. I, uh, I feel like, uh, I'm not really seeing any responses to, I would also throw out some other possible explanations for some of the things people use to date revelation to see if, well, can you prove? Cause to me, it's like, I can't prove you're not that you're wrong, but can you prove that I'm wrong? That's the big question. And unfortunately, when it comes to what settles the argument, like what the baseline is for your thing is some people, they have decided revelation is all about events in 70 AD. Therefore, you know, all these things have to be interpreted this way because we know this is true, but wait a minute. What if that's not what it's about? Okay. So then you haven't, you haven't proven these things. So, um, but yeah, I had never even heard of the early date of revelation until a few years ago when I first started hearing about preterism and stuff. Uh, I've always heard the, the late date stuff and, um, but I, I would, I would be willing to have a public discussion on that at some point. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I could be convinced, but, um, but yeah, but anyway, yeah, well, I think that's all we have time for today. <clears throat> My voice is struggling. I need to drink some water, but, um, this was official damage control. Uh, and I am kind of being funny when I say that for the Don Preston interview, um, I, I thought it was enjoyable and I learned a lot. I was challenged and he has not moved me from my belief that Christ's coming is in the future. I mean, the more I've just chewed on it, thought about it, it's just like, no, there is no way to get around a literal, physical, future resurrection of the dead. And Jesus Christ is coming back in the flesh. Every eye shall see him. He's going to come in like manners. We have seen him go into heaven. They saw him go away. We are going to see him come back. 
absolutely i i believe that and um i do think it's heresy to teach otherwise and so i hope everyone will um not convert to full preterism and you will stay uh continue looking for the return of jesus christ but thank you all for watching this i hope you'll like this share it subscribe if you haven't done it yet and yeah and give me the best that you've got on the dating of the book of revelation and we will we will cover that one of these days in the near future uh what it means if it's written after 70 AD and what it means if it's written before 70 AD. I think that's an interesting conversation and I, I welcome the challenge on that. So thank you all for watching. God bless. We'll see you all next time.